You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. I invite also as the kids head out, Leanne to come and read the scripture for us this morning. All right. So this is, today's reading is 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of God. Amen. All right. Thank you, Leanne. Uh, Well, a couple things before we get into this text is is welcome. My name is Jared. If you've not met me before, my name is Jared. It's it's so good to have you here with us and gather with us this morning for the church. Uh, If you are new here and you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. It's they're on the back table there. It's probably the best gift that we could ever give you. Uh, It's the very words of God. So we want to make sure that that gets into every hand that comes here to the shore. And so that's what we're going to teach actually through that. We're in the book of first John. We've been here for a while now. And so we want to walk through uh, books of the Bible. Bible, verse by verse, and and so that's who we are. We are the short church, and and we want to surrender and give our lives to Jesus, and so that's what we're all about. And and this this love that Jesus actually gives us two commands: to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit this morning, uh, where we can see in our text that Leanne just read. Uh, love is actually one of, if not the most powerful of all emotions. It's a big one. We see actually in, in the Song of Solomon, I was reading this uh, this week in my devotions, and this stuck out to me in chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. It says this about love. Love is strong as death. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. See, love is transformative in how we see places, how we see things, and how we see one another. So in our text this morning, we are commanded to direct our love, to not allow our love to awaken the things of this world. So let me pray one more time for us as we uh, open this text for us this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much uh, for your word that we can glean from it, that we can learn from it, that we can pull truths that were taught thousands of years ago, yet they are so applicable for us today. And so I just pray, Lord, that as we glean uh, your words, as as Ryan prayed uh, for me, Lord, help me uh, step aside. Let your word be the one that is loud and clear this morning. For I'm not worthy to to proclaim your word. You you are worthy. It it is your words um, that I'm simply wanting to read over and and, uh, bring to light. And so help, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Put me aside. May you stand forth uh, before your word this morning and and bring uh, illumination to the hearts of all of us as we learn this text and we read through this text this morning. So I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, the outline for this morning's text is I just want to walk through. It's on the screen there. It's, It's command, conflict, challenge, conclusion. 
Command, conflict, challenge, and conclusion. We're going to walk through this together. Let's look at the command number one. So if you in your Bibles, you can turn again to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Right at the start of this, we see it. It's on the screen. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And this is the big idea of this little section that we're reading, these three verses. This is the big idea. And it's been the, the big idea actually for quite some time here in the book of 1 John. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It going back to even our last week's text, where whether a child or a young man or a father, where you see in verses 12 through 14, the immature all the way to the mature, this is the call for all of us to not love the world or the things in the world. And as we read this command to fully understand it, we need to define what John means by the word world. Uh, as we see here, for a few reasons. Maybe the most glaring reason is because this isn't the only time John mentions the word world. Actuality, in the, our little three little verses, he mentions it six times. And so we need to understand what is he talking about when he says the word world. The other reason is that he says it 23 times in this letter, but over 100 times in his writing in the Gospel of John and also in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he sees, says it over 100 times. And so to live out this command regarding the world must be a big deal. It's a big deal. So we need to define specific words. And so let's go back to our outline for a moment. It's that this command will actually bring conflict. This command will bring a challenge to us. And by God's grace, this, will, this command will bring faithful conclusion. So I want to take a bit of a tangent for a moment so there's no confusion on this word world. Words are very, impo words are very important. Uh, as we communicate to one another, when we use words, we need to know what we are saying. We, we need to understand what, what we're communicating back and forth to one another. It's actually, you, you know this as much as I do, it's actually really important that we understand. And the more you understand each other, the more you get to know one another, the more grace you give one another when you think maybe there's a confusion here. Like there's specific words in English and as the original text of this in Greek, there's specific words in Greek as well that could be used for multiple reasons. And this word world is actually one of those. Like in English, one of my favorite words is cookies, right? I'm not sure we have cookies on the table back there. Favorite thing, right? There's, there's all kinds of sugar in there. There's dough that you can actually eat with chocolate chips and raisins. My mom had the hardest time putting cookies onto a tray because before they're into even close to the oven, before that tray was filled with cookie dough, half of the cookie tray would be empty. And she would start smacking me and tell me to get out of the kitchen. And because I was larger and bigger than her, I would just pick her up and move her and then eat some more cookie dough. It was great. I love cookies. But cookies, when you hear them now in 2023, cookies mean? Internet tracking. Cookies, they use my favorite word to internet track you, right? So files created by websites that you go to. Another one of my favorite words, and I don't know why the theme is, is food right now, but you can guess, maybe it's donuts, right? When you, donuts are this morsel of goodness, right? Glazed, chocolate-covered, sprinkles, whatever. There's some that are cream-filled. It's a beautiful creation, right? But you can also spin your car in circles and you would call it a donut, right? There's the same word, but used in different ways. And so I'm being really simple here. But you see, we need to define the word world because one of the most famous verses penned in Scripture 
is maybe you can guess what it is, but it's John 3.16. John himself writes it, one of the famous, most famous words in, or scripture verses, and it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, this is amazing news, this verse. It's amazing news. It's, a, it's the beginning point of many things. Like, you need to understand a little bit more than just this verse, but it is the beginning points of how one might be saved. But you might see a contradiction here. You see, God says in John 3.16 that he loves the world. But in 1 John 2.15, we are commanded, do not love the world or the things in the world. So what do we do with this? It seems like maybe for the first time in 2,000 years, we've seen a contradiction now in the scripture. But it's not a problem at all. It's not a problem. See, I was forwarded a message by a friend that my former pastor preached, and he is in the middle of preaching on John 3.16 and mentions this very thing. And in my studies, I actually saw many pastors talking about this because it is a, a theme in the scripture, using of the word world. So in summary, these pastors put kind of categories around the world, this usage of world. One category is the cosmos, the created world, like rocks, plants, animals, and things, all the things that were, are created. You can use the word world for, and you understand what you're talking about. You can also use the word world for the dwelling place of humankind. So when you say the world, you understand that to be the dwelling place for mankind. When you also, the third way to use this word is, in the scriptures anyways, is when you say the word world is the fallen, the fallen state of mankind. And the last way, and these are broad categories, mind you, because world is used so many times. The last way is system. This is the system of the world. So in John 1.10, take a look at it on the screen, is a verse that hits three out of the four categories in one little verse. It says world three times in this little verse. It says, it, he, Jesus, was in the world, the dwelling place for mankind. And the world, the cosmos, was made through him. Yet the world, the fallen human race, did not know him. See, three out of the four categories used just in this one little verse. See, in John 3, 16, reading in the context of this verse, we soon find out which category John 3, 16 is talking about. Take a look at it. It's John 3, 16, all the way down to 18. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world, the fallen human race, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. See, it sounds like, if you look at this in context, it looks like there is a certain elect group of individuals that Jesus has died for and will grant eternal life based on their belief in him. The context of the verse also helps us with another verse. John mentions the word world in which is actually much closer in context to, to our verse. It's actually, we've read it a couple weeks ago in John, 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
And then we get an idea of the whole world here in verse 3. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. It's an important if there. So in 1 John 2, 2, like John 3, 16 and following, is using the word world to refer to the fallen human race that God has come to live for, die for, and rise again. And it goes on to say, those that confess and believe in his name, those that love and abide in him, will be saved. Important aspect of this. So Paul says the same thing, actually, in Romans chapter 3. We won't go there, but I encourage you to do some study. Read through Romans chapter 3. You'll see exactly the same thing Paul is unpacking for us. Now, I don't want to get you lost in your community groups to talk about election. Please don't go there because this is not what this verse is talking about. I just need to understand, help us understand the word world. And so we can get lost into uh, the doctrine of election here, but let's not do that because we need to go after what is John talking about in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is where we need to go. In our community groups, as we keep one another accountable, we need to go after what John is actually talking about here. So again, outside and now back into our text, out of that little tangent there, it's a really important tangent so we understand what we're talking about. Again, the four categories, the cosmos and the created world, the dwelling place of the human race, the human race is fully depraved, and lastly, the system of the world. Now, going back to our text in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, this command given is to not love the world, to not love the world. The world, or the word world here, is speaking about the fourth category that I mentioned, the system, the system of the world. John is commanding us to not love the system of the world. So now that we understand this, let's look now at the second point, the conflict. The second half of verse 15, it says this, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. Now remember, this is the love of the system of the world. If you love the system, then you are not of God. These are hard statements. And this is what we need to keep one another accountable in. See, if you love the system, then you're not of God. And John has actually already brought this conflict up many times. Many times. I've actually started throughout my first John studies. See, the conflict of saying one thing and doing the opposite. If you live your life, the conflict between you and the Lord, the conflict between your kingdom, your desires, your wants, your needs, and the, the will of the Lord, this is where the conflict is happening. And the conflict of saying one thing and doing the opposite, if you live your life in the, this way, John says you are a liar, a hypocrite, and God is not in you. And we see this, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 6, John says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And I encourage you to read through the whole letter again and see the context of what is going on here, the conflict. You'll see it in chapters 1, verses, like I read, 6, 8, and 10. You'll see it in chapter 2, 4, 9, 11, 15, 19, 23. Chapter 3, verse 8, 9, 10, 14, 17, 24. You'll see it in chapter 4, 2, 6, 7, 13, 16, 20, 21. Chapter 5, 2, 4, and 10. I'm saying all this because it's everywhere. John is trying to wake us to awaken us to the very conflict that is happening between you and God, between us and God. 
See, this conflict John is awakening us to is vitally important. If there is a conflict in what you say and what you do, he says you are in the dark. The system of the world must be hated in the church, in the temple of God, which is you and I. Right? And who believe, we, we, are, we are different. Those of us who are different, who are in the kingdom of God, have confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe that God raised him from the dead. And then we hold faith to that. We, we believe that with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the promises of scripture is when you confess that and believe that within your heart, you are saved. You're saved by grace. See, the system of the world must be hated. But we are and must be in conflict with the system of the world rather than being in conflict with ourselves. This is the system of the evil one. It has perverted values. It has an agenda that is contrary and hostile to God. And we're seeing that actually play out in the world as we speak. See, we are given a command, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is the big idea that we need to discuss. This is the big idea that we need to go after. This is the conflict that is before us. And this, friends, brings us to the challenge, number three. Verse 16. John tells us about the system here. For all that is in the world system Three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. See, the challenge is to not love or live in these ways. This is the challenge, right? And it is a challenge because, man, even just looking back on my life this last week, knowing that I'm going to preach this, fallen. Failed many times. And man, the grace of God is huge when you start actually realizing and starting checking what is going on in your heart and how sweet 1 John 1 verse 9 is. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's a beautiful passage. It's God's grace on us. So the challenge is to live this this now makes a bit more sense, though, right? Why we are commanded to not love the world or the things in the world because of the system, but also because we have affections for things. Like John knows this as much as anybody, that we have a tendency to worship, every one of us. We are created, created to be worshipers. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that before. Maybe you have heard that, but it's a good reminder. We are created to worship. Remember how this letter started. If you go back to John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, that which was from the beginning. John is opening his letter to remind us of the very thing we ought to be worshiping. See, John knows we were created by God to worship, and our affections, to be overly obvious, are for Jesus. That's where our affections ought to be, the one who was from the beginning. And if we fast forward to the end of the book of 1 John, go back to all the way to chapter 5, verse 21, the very last verse, it's an instruction. And it says, little children, which we learned about last week, means the church, men and women both, immature all the way to the mature. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. 
See, John is warning us to watch out because we all have a tendency to worship and the system of the world is going to try to draw us in. It's going to try and draw us in. Let me first say what this is not saying before we get into it. This is not saying that having things of the world is bad. That's not what it's saying. But it is saying things cannot have you. It's not saying things are bad. It's saying things cannot have you. See, John opens his letter with telling us clearly who to worship. And now in the middle of his letter is warning us to flee from the deception that is around us and most often in our hearts. It's actually right here. The biggest problem is here. The biggest voice you listen to throughout your week is your own. Did you realize this? It's your own. There are three deadly parts in the system of the world. The first, they all start with us. The desires of the flesh, the first. So we get a list from Paul in his letter to the Galatian. We don't have a list here in 1 John. It's not there. He just says the desires of the flesh. And he's speaking to the church. So the church has obviously heard this over and over again. Paul preached this in Galatians chapter 5. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, if you want to flip to your Bibles, it's, it's right there in chapter 5, verse 19 and 21. It says this, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then he goes off a list. He goes, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then he says something amazing. And then he says, and things like these. So it's not an exhaustive list. And then he says, as I've been saying in 1 John, and John's been saying, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, like I've been saying along with John, if you walk in the darkness, you're not a Christian. It says it right there by Paul in Galatians chapter 5. We've got to be careful the way we are walking. See, we might actually be living in the antinomianism heresy. Let me explain this, that John is getting at in, the, in all those conflicting verses I mentioned earlier. Remember the massive list. See, the antinomianism heresy is that we abuse the grace. This is what antinomianism means, that you have received grace and now you're just living it. You just abuse it. There's no accountability to your actions. This is what antinomianism is. You receive grace, but you do nothing. You just, no accountability into what you do. See, the perfectionist lie, there's also a perfectionist heresy, where it's you're not culpable. There's a legalistic lie where it's you're not forgivable. You have to work off and work out your salvation. And there's also an antinomianism lie on the other side of the spectrum. The legalistic lie is on this side. The antinomianism lie is on this side, whereas you're not accountable. You just keep on sinning. So you're walking, abiding, doing, and you've heard me say this multiple times, is an outward sign of an inward transformation. So how we walk, how we abide in, how we live out our faith is based out of an inward transformation of our heart. We receive, we sing, we rejoice in who God is. And our actions will reflect what is going on inside of us. 
Like you've heard other pastors, you've heard my, me say this as well, right? We talk about this, the reason for baptism is we, we're, it's an outward expression of what has gone inside of us. There's a transformation that's taken place that Jesus changed our heart from darkness to light. And we want to express that publicly by expressing what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. But I, have we ever switched the language there? And I was thinking about this in my office. Like you're walking in sin, abiding in sin, practicing sin is an outward sign of an in, a, a not a transformed heart. Of no inward transformation. See, the desires of the flesh are from the world, meaning you are not in the Father and the Father is not in you. So the desires of the flesh are deadly and we are called to confess them and run. And this is what followers do, right? They, they realize their sin, they confess, they're broken over it because it's breaking a relationship between you and the Father and you confess it and you seek out help and accountability and you walk in the newness of Jesus Christ. This is the, the desires of the flesh. The second part of the system and is the desires of the world. Or, sorry, the desires of the eyes. So we have the desires of the flesh, and then secondly, the desires of the eyes. And the eyes are the entry point to the heart. The entry point to the heart. The heart is the core of your identity. What your eyes see as, God, as good will ignite the flesh within you. Right? This is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They saw, they saw the fruit, that it was good, and they partook in it. And we do the same. We look around this world, and we see the seemingly good things and we desire them and the eyes desire it so badly that you can't hold yourself from taking it. You can think of maybe some things this past week that you desired that were not of God that you actually partook in. This happened to David when he saw Bathsheba and lusted after her. And we are no different. See, the desires of the eyes lead us to lust after the flesh and the things of this world in covetous ways. The whole system of the world is set up to draw us in through visual stimulus. Like Romans chapter 1 says this right there in Romans chapter 1. It's like we've exchanged, we've suppressed the truth of Jesus. We've suppressed the goodness of Christ and exchanged God, the creator, for creation. And we begin to worship it. See, we see the creation and the tendencies of our broken hearts is to worship it. Men and women alike, we chase after pleasure and the eyes of others, unfortunately, become more important. The eyes of other people in your, in your value system become more important than God's eyes upon you. Fear of God fades. Wisdom turns to folly. And our hearts become darkened and choked out by the cares of the world. Friends, this is, this is hard. I don't, I, and I don't want you to perceive, this is not in my notes, I don't want you to perceive that I've got this thing nailed down. I'm with you. I'm just trying to unpack what First John is saying. See, over and over you see this in the scriptures and unfortunately it gets played out in our lives every day and we need to as a church come alongside one another and help one another grow towards Christ-likeness. And it only works when we're intimate with one another in the sense of our accountability and our sharing with one another. See, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount goes as far as like how, how deep this is and how, 
how powerful this passage is. He goes as far as to say in Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, like think about this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Then further into his sermon, Jesus says again in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. This is what John is saying. Right? The desire of the eyes ignite the desires of the flesh. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You see, the scripture is saying the same thing over and over and over again, just in a little bit different ways. But it's saying the same thing. The system of the world wants to kill you. So living contrary to the system of the world is actually going to be very difficult. We live in a foreign land. That's where we live right now. And it's going to be difficult living in this foreign land. See, there's a couple in my, my office years ago. They're an engaged couple. I used to teach like a marriage prep, and eventually we'll get that here going. Uh, but marriage prep, and, and uh, I'm, I'm having a conversation, kind of a follow-up after the class. We would always, I would meet with every couple, and I would sit down with them in my office, and I would just hear a little bit more of their story, and, and they would share their love for one another, and it was a lot, a lot of googly eyes over one another, and it was actually a lot of fun to watch. Like it, nothing sparks your marriage more than actually mentoring other couples because, man, you learn a ton. Uh, of what's going on. And, and anyways, th- this couple began to speak and, and share more of their stories, more of their struggles. And they began to over and over and over again um, share their lack of conviction for what the scriptures are saying. They were sexually intimate. They, they kept making excuses. And I asked, after just listening to them for a very long time, really just kind of burying themselves under the word of God, I just said, do you, is it okay if I ask you a question? They said, sure, go ahead. I was like, do you mind me asking this? There's an open chair in my office here. Can you now just argue the way you have been me? I've not been going back and forth with you. I've just been listening because really you're arguing against this. So let's imagine for a moment that Jesus is here in this room with us, and now you do the same thing now to Jesus. And I'll just sit here and watch. You just, you just communicate with the chair. Let's pretend Jesus is right there. And within seconds, the guy's eyes went like saucers. And I knew based on hearing their story and hearing their, 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 how they grew up and be involvement in understanding, they've read through the scripture. They understood what it was saying but just in that split second, their deep conviction took place. And the guy looked at me and says, you know what? It's not confusing anymore. And I was like, what's not confusing? And he goes, I know what I need to do. I need to stop living contrary to what the Bible says. And he looks at his girlfriend and he goes, we need to stop. And we prayed together and it was a sweet moment. It was the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes overtaking to the point they became a little bit blind. We forget that Jesus is actually right here with us right now. In the quietness of your home, in the quietness of your office, as you walk down the street, when you're at the grocery store, he is with you 
always. I've said that quorum Deo means that we always live under the face of God. Every single moment. Now, can we imagine that same question to all of us? Imagine living our life the rest of today and the presence of Christ is with us. Are we seeking to honor him? Like that's what fear of God really means. It's I want to honor my father. Not be freaked out, but I want to love him. I want to I be guided by his hand. I want to love him and cherish him. Or are you trying to hide from him like, like Jonah tried to hide? See, the system of the world is going to make you live differently. And it's going to be difficult to live as a follower of Jesus here. The third part of the system, and it keeps getting deeper and deeper as you walk through the flesh and the eyes, and now it gets to the pride of life. See, these three interact actually with one another. What we see with our eyes not only stirs up the flesh, but also ignites our pride. And remember I said we are worshipers. When your pride of life, the pride of life is like you're ingrained in it, you actually become the object of worship. You do. Like we begin to worship ourselves. And that's actually, if you study the book of Romans chapter one, it actually goes there. Like they exchange relationships with one another to the point where men were being with men and women with women. Why? Because they're looking at a mirror. What do you see in a mirror? You see your image. And so it's everything I want to change to create, to worship me. Even the person I I love and care for and, and want to be with. I want someone that looks like me. It's a, it's a complete depravity. And it's a worship of self. See, when the pride of life is ignited, we become the object of worship. The object in and of itself is not evil, but we make it evil by making it a form of pleasure or comfort for our worship rather than allowing us to use our bodies for the worship and, and the glory of Jesus Christ. See, worship of self is self-elevation. It's self-importance. The pride of life is a cycle of folly. And folly, defined in the scripture, is foolishness. It's a, the belief that God is not there. It's complete, utter foolishness. So you will suppress the truth for the sake of your desires. This is pride. Your thoughts are greater than God's commands. That's pride. You know what's best. And you say things like this couple said, you know what, the Bible's a pretty old book. We're living in 20-whatever, back a couple years back. Get with the times, Jer. It's like, you're not actually arguing with me, you're actually arguing with the Scripture. And we make excuses. The pride becomes you elevate yourself over the Lord. See, pride is incredibly blinding. Remember the list of the flesh Paul unpacks in Galatians 5 is sexual immorality. It will blind you. Impurity, it will blind you. Sensuality, it will blind you for the split-second pleasure of the flesh and of the eyes, and you'll become prideful to the point you don't need help. You actually enjoy this. See, these are all around and and our outward actions of what is going on in our inward heart. And pride says, no matter what God says, I choose me. 
See, the system of the world is doing all it can to take away from the Father, to take away you away from what you know, have seen, have heard, proclaimed to you, like John says in the first chapter, first four verses. It is causing distraction from the only thing that can bring life. Faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection brings us, and we're going to see this about five times, in this, and this is the first time, it brings us eternal hope. It brings us eternal hope. What is from the Father is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the personified Jesus. This is who we get. And what is from the Father is perfect. And there really is only two options when we get to this point. Either you live in the desires of the flesh, live in the desires of the eyes, live in the pride of life, which is the kingdom of self, or you choose to live in the kingdom of God. There's really two options. There's no middle ground here. That's what John is going, this is where the conflict is. You can't live here. You either live in your, your kingdom or you live in God's kingdom. Which kingdom would you like to live in? See, something that might help choose and make that decision of what kingdom you want to live in is the promise of what might come afterwards for these two kingdoms. And that's exactly our last point, the conclusion. See, this is just one of the things I love about God and his word is that he doesn't hold back from telling you what you need to know for life and godliness. He doesn't keep it from you. Satan in this world keep from you what is going to happen to you if you choose the things he's drawing you towards. He doesn't tell you the end result. Never will. He wants you stuck in there. God tells you everything that you need to know for life and godliness. That's why I love it. And it says there in verse 17, if we look at our fourth point, the conclusion, it says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, John is giving away the end of the story. As we look around this world, it isn't hard to see that it's breaking down. It's broken. Things wear out. You have to get more of whatever you desire. Drunkenness only lasts a certain amount of time. Sexual pleasure only lasts a certain amount of time. I need to get more. I need to fill it again. I need to get more. I need to fill it again. And you live in this vicious cycle of there is no God. Then John says, this world and everything in it is passing away. It tells you what's going to happen to this area. And it's not hard to decipher for us either. It's actually right in front of us always. Then he says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever chooses his kingdom is eternal. So I guess the application point for us this morning is more like a couple questions. And the question I want to ask you, the questions I want to ask you is, who are you? Who are you? Now just slow your thoughts down for a moment. Who are you? What is it that you want? Who are you? What do you want? See, what you know to be your identity will be revealed in what you want. 
also flipping that is what you want and choose to follow will reveal your identity. See, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? 1 John is an accountability letter to us as the church to now walk in that way. May we not love the world. May we put this kingdom of self aside and kill it once for all and put on the fruit of the Spirit, put on love for God and for others, put on joy, that our joy is complete in Jesus when we surrender to that which was from the beginning, the very one that we've heard and we saw and we proclaim to you, the one that we worship still 2,000 years later, that, that hung on the cross for our sin, our depravity, our world that we chose to live in. This is the one we choose to follow because of a transformed heart that took place. So who are you? And what is it that you want? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can glean from it, that we can be challenged by it as a church as we gather together as your temple. Lord, so we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would sanctify us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you will open our hearts to the blind spots that are still within us, Lord, please reveal the sin of our hearts that we might confess it and live new. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that, that uh, your will for us is sanctification. Your will for us is sanctification to become more like you. So help us, Lord, as we are sanctified by your power, by your strength, by your, chain, your transformation of our heart that we will not abuse the grace that we've been given, but that we'll live it out in faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.